You're listening to People in Profit, a podcast that focuses on elevating humanity through business, sponsored by Conscious Capitalism Arizona. And now, let's hear from our hosts, Jeremy and Sarah. Good day, everybody. Thank you for joining the People and Profit podcast. Good business is the answer to many of the global issues that humankind is facing. And that's what we dive into on this show. We are working to change the capitalism narrative by shining a bright light on good business, telling the stories of conscious Arizona companies and encouraging others to follow in their footsteps. Conscious Capitalism website is ccarizona.org. There's a whole bunch of good information on the movements and things that are happening here locally. But for now, we want to go ahead and jump in and shine some of those flashlights and have some of this great dialogue about the good things that are happening in our backyards here. My name is Jeremy Neese. I am on the leadership team of the Conscious Capitalism Arizona group. I am joined today with our pinch-hitting co-host, Kendra Maples. Uh, Sarah is on assignment. Isn't that what we say in the broadcasting <laughs> business? I like that. <laughs> Kendra, hello. Hello. I'm excited to be in uh, the studio today. We've got one remote guest and one guest that's in the studio so I'm also on the leadership committee with Jeremy. I'm the VP of our volunteers, and we can always <laughs> use those to help all of these pieces running, right, Jeremy? No so doubt about it. For today, the way that I kind of want to get started, I'm going to introduce these two gentlemen, and then I'm actually going to throw it to them. I want to hear a little bit about you guys, your company, you, um, and that's going to kind of just lead us into this conversation. So today we have Brett Farmelo the CEO of Marketers. And we have in studio, we have Brian Stinson, the culture engineer for Peak Fleet. Brett, I'm going to start with you since you're virtual. So let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about you and your company and about Marketers. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. And uh, live in studio means uh, live in my four-year-old daughter's bedroom. (laughs) Very similar to what you would experience in the studio. Yeah, making the most of it for the last six months. Yeah, as you said, my name is Brett, and I'm the founder and CEO of Marketers. We're an SEO company for small business uh, out here in Scottsdale. So, um, pleasure to be with you guys. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Brian, how about you? Well, thank you for referring to me as a culture engineer. I, I am actually an engineer. I'm an industrial engineer, which is people and systems. And I spent 21 years in, in high tech doing IT stuff, but I had this passion for for people and culture and leadership development and I think it was in year 19 or 20 that I finally figured out that that was my purpose to work, to use my engineering degree and and knowledge to look at a group of people as a system and maximize for things like morale and skills and, and engagement. And, um, and then, and then four years ago left to start a consulting company because we felt uh, my partner and I felt we more of the world than the company that we were at deserved to have great culture and uh, so our, our purpose is to go out there and is cr- create as many irresistible work cultures as possible. Oh, I probably should say the name of our company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the point. You can. Uh, the company, our company is the Peak Fleet. And Peak is an acronym for four of our values, persistence, empathy, authenticity, and kindness. So we consider ourselves a values-based company. We, we teach the Peak. We help people discover their own values either at a personal level or organizational value, uh, organizational level, and then embed that into all of their their processes. I actually had no idea that that's what the four of them, I've known you for a little while and I had no idea that that's what Peak stood for. So Thanks for saying that. Yeah. yeah that's lo- good data. I love that. And so, I love the way that it aligns with what we're going to talk about. Jeremy, go for it. There's no question. 
it's hard to escape the headlines of the pandemic that's running around. And it's so regularly a place where we see how business has an influence over people and their dollars coming in the door during this time frame. So um, I'm curious on both of your perspectives on what you've seen in serving your clients, in serving your uh, employees, and still keeping a light sound in the business. You know, what are your observations this time? What What are some of the good things and some of the the challenging things you're experiencing or that you've witnessed? Yeah, Brian, you want me to? I'll take that that Please. first one because uh, yeah, when uh, when March came, it, you saw a lot of people going uh, right back on defense very quickly and doing whatever it took to. Some incredible things. Like, I mean, I, I really admire the the large organizations. I mean, Marketers has like 15 employees, and I couldn't imagine having 150 or uh, 1500, uh, and kind of making some of the moves that a lot of CEOs did. Uh, but you saw a lot of defense. Then you gradually saw some people go towards offense, and then kind of back to defense, and kind of like get into a more stabilization. Where now here in November, as we kind of peek around uh, Thanksgiving. It feels like we're getting to a more stable place, even though there's still uh, a lot of unknowns pending. But I feel like a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs um, have now adapted to the hardest first wave that has has crashed. And even if there's a second wave that's that's coming, it feels like uh, people are now a little more cognizant of what their reaction will be. So I feel like right now where business is at, you're not totally confident, but it's a little more stabilized and, and uh, things are looking to get back to normal uh, next year. Let's hope so, right? Did you have to do anything significant within your own operations to yeah. weather the storm here the last six months? Yeah, for sure. I uh, got, got real scrappy real quick. Uh, <laughs> had a had a sweet offer up sale, a.k.a. garage sale. Uh, <laughs> You know, I had my seven-year-old taking apart IKEA desks and putting those on offer up because we, yeah, we closed up our office. Uh, you know, obviously around the same time that that everyone did, but made the decision that this is going to be a long-term thing. Interesting. Uh, probably, probably around May, so uh, we found someone to take over our lease. We put everything up uh, probably like early May and started to to get out of rent payments as we went fully remote. So, uh, but I think I think that's the major change is that before this. Uh, we were 80% in person, 20% remote. Every Thursday, we would take a day to kind of work remote and uh, enjoy the change of scenery. But now, as we look forward to 2021, you know, obviously, we're 100% remote now. But I think in the future, we'll probably flip-flop that uh, Pareto's principle and, and have 80% remote and 20% in person. So that's probably the major change. That makes good sense. How about within your uh, client community? Did you have to make uh, special arrangements for anyone or did you witness anything extraordinary on how they uh, are maneuvering in these times? Yeah, I mean, like a lot of businesses, I think that the very first reaction was, hey, we want to be there to support other businesses and especially clients in, in this time. So uh, the very first thing that we did, we, we did some, I forget what the fancy name of it was, but we basically offered to admit a one-time payment and work for free for uh, the month of April and May. So, um, so basically, and rather than say, "Hey, uh, we'll lose you as a client, and let's see how this thing plays out," we're we're saying, "Hey, like, let's not miss a beat in terms of your SEO campaign, and let's just be in this together for however long it takes, and we'll see where it takes us." So, um, that helps a lot of clients get a sen- sense of normalcy very quickly because we're just one item on the whole checklist of figuring out, okay, here's everything I need to do before I can move on. And once we kind of satisfied that checkbox and said, oh, we can continue to work with marketers, 
as normal, I think that that helped uh, a lot of clients and bought us some goodwill, you know, down the road. Yeah, that's great. Great strategy. Thanks for that. Brian, how about you? What's What's been your first hand and then what are you seeing amongst your clients? Well, I would like to share observations first of what I'm seeing. Um, two, two things uh, that really stand out for me. Part of what we do, we, we, help, we help create amazing work culture now, but we also consult on where work is going, work trends, the future of work. Uh, in, in fact, uh, as we enter the, this fourth industrial revolution, I think that people and culture is really the, the final differentiator for businesses and organizations. Um, two things. One, communication is, is so hard and so important to start with. Uh, and one of the things I often tell a leader, because a leader, a leader communicates and thinks that um, he or she is perfectly clear, it usually takes seven times, seven ways for it to actually hit with every single person, which, is, which can be frustrating for the leader. I think in this, one of the future of work trends was this idea of working from home. Can we do it? I, I, living in high tech for 20 years, I saw the argument go both ways, back and forth. The pendulum would swing. So we're, we're sort of proving that it works. But that communication thing that takes seven times seven ways in, in a normal situation, it takes, uh, it's amplified. It's even harder. So, so it's maybe it's um, maybe there's a third seven. I haven't figured it out yet, but it's <laughs> but the communication is so important, and it and it requires so much more work um, mm-hmm. all the way around. the The second thing that we for for our clients, we we don't. Uh, it's it's rare someone says I need someone to define my culture, uh, and and then they come and find us. It's usually a business metric. It's a hiring problem or a retention problem or a morale problem or an engagement problem. So we help solve the, the business metrics, business challenges. And, and while all of those business challenges still exist, there's a, there's a new one that I think was starting to emerge only a few months into the pandemic, and it's around connection and isolation. Mm-hmm. And so helping people with techniques that if, you know, we are, yeah, we're figuring out how to work remotely, um, but have we really figured out how to work remotely and stay connected? I, I think that's those are the new challenges. And it, and it wasn't until a few months down the road that we started to hit the wall and go, wow, I'm, yeah, it was sort of new and exciting for, for month one, two, three. But as we got to month six, seven, eight, mm-hmm. I think we're really starting to struggle emotionally and, and psychologically. So, so really looking that, as that as a new business challenge that didn't used to be on our list of business challenges we helped with. Us personally, it was interesting. We our business model is built around going into people's workplace and and working with them, and so we did have to pivot. Although we still have some clients where we go in and we do it in a, with masks on and socially distanced. Interesting for me, a number of my clients are schools, public schools, and and um, that work continued even when the in the spring when the schools were empty. I would still go and work with the principal, and for me, not working with schools has always been the the most rewarding part of my job. Um, but working with schools and working with principals during a pandemic that we've never experienced and helping them navigate that uh, was even more rewarding than ever. Um, the, the, the one area for me personally and my clients that uh, there, there was an opportunity that, that created itself, I've been working with ASU Gamage for a couple of years, and we've been wanting to do a project to define their culture in terms of their cultural values. And they were always just too busy, always too busy. Well, we're nine months into not having any any shows come through town, and so we've actually made a lot of progress and, and done a lot of work this summer to do that. So that was uh, that was one silver lining for me. That's really interesting, boy. There's a lot there. Um, you know, you talk about that entity that was too busy to work on the business until hard times hit, and now it's time to roll. I'm just curious how many organizations 
found themselves in that very scenario where, boy, here we go. It's really time for the gut check. And I wish we had had conversations. I would argue that your values are the foundation on how you uh, sprout a long-term successful business. So the fact that uh, we were too busy to have that identified before, um, that must have been real interesting to be sitting shoulder to shoulder navigating through those things. Interesting. <laughs> I was going to say, just to just to see that that transition from, you know, like you said, there's so many companies that in the beginning, it's, you know, oh, we have to be in person. We have to be in person. I mean, I know so many companies where I had friends that asked, hey, can I work for work remote one or two days? And, you know, the, the answer is always no because of X, Y, Z. And now we're forced to be in this remote setting. Brett, for you, you're saving costs now, right? Because your folks are remote. You're not paying for a physical location anymore. And then, you know, Brian, you're having these different situations come up where they didn't have that time before. So it's amazing to see that transition through all of this. Um, and now both of you really are are online, you know, primarily with your companies. How do you see that as, like, do you see different competition now that maybe there wasn't there before because everybody is remote and everybody is online now? I mean, do you see, and Brett, for you with, you know, what you're doing too, is there greater competition? Is there a harder way for you as a company to stand out? Or, you know, is this, a, is there a higher competition of, you know, everybody working online and being remote now? Yeah, it's interesting. So <laughs> even before a pandemic, there, there's more digital marketing agencies and coffee shops within a mile radius of where I'm sitting. So the oh, competition's geez. already already pretty fierce. Even pretty, from your kiddo's bedroom? Jeez. Yeah, pretty. I mean, <laughs> any, almost anywhere where, where you guys are sitting in Max 6. I mean, there's yeah. over 16,000 digital marketing companies in the U.S. alone. And now that you saw uh, you know, the unemployment rate kind of spike, a lot of those people tried to take their talents and become freelancers and uh, go to platforms like Upwork and offer their services. So yeah, I, I think that when it comes to online marketing and services, businesses have never had more choice, which is very paralyzing for a lot of companies. Uh, more so than competitors, I think that if anything, it just creates a lot more opportunity, a lot more opportunity for small businesses to diversify the revenue streams and to take things online and to get more innovative and creative. So that's the main trend that I've seen is just not not so much uh, a worry isn't more com competition, mm -hmm. um, especially for companies who already have momentum and have an established presence. Um, it's more around opportunities to, to do better things. I like that. Is there a way that your companies can stand out a little more? Um, I mean, obviously, there's opportunities for other companies to kind of have a place at the table. But for you in particular, like, are there ways that you guys are trying to stand out a little more? I mean, aside that you're on a, a handful of shows and you're out and about, um, but are there other ways? Well, let's start there because like for anyone listening, productivity is something that is amazing in a remote environment. Like I'm able to use a tool like Calendly and schedule my entire day and have infinitely more meetings than I was previously without commute times, without, uh, you know, wait times and things like that. So the amount of conversations that you're able to have, and especially structured conversations with a tool like Calendly, you have 15 minute, 30 minute or 60 minute meeting windows, mm -hmm. and you're able to have like effective 15 minute meetings, much more so than you were previously, like you would have to have a 30 minute block that sounds super petty, but uh, adding it up over time, 
um, you're able to, to have a lot more productive uh, conversations. So I think if anything, that, that's probably the, the smallest thing that you're able to do to differentiate yourself and move your business forward is just thinking about time management mm -hmm. and how each day can have its max, maximum impact. So that's interesting on the uh, productivity. I'm sure it's an individualized thing because uh, Brian, you might have a stat on this. I, I, I remember there's something, it's a percentage of the workday is consumed by what they call door jam time. Somebody doing a flyby, you didn't ask for them to knock your door. You didn't ask for them to share what just happened in the meeting they left, but it's what's happened. And so there's a percentage of the day that's just those kind of interactions, which on a raw productivity perspective, you're absolutely right. I'm I'm talking and listening. I'm not necessarily getting that task that I was working on before the flyby happened done. Uh, but then that spills into what Brian was speaking to, the whole connection and communication and, you know, sort of the intangibles of how much more cohesive is our team when we do get those drive-bys. And so I'm just, I, I don't see the answer. I just see the the enigma because it really is for each business to figure out how do we find the best balance. I know some people who, when they get home, they're like, oh, please, I can't wait for the coffee shop seat to open up because I've got dogs barking. I've got, you know, kids playing downstairs and this is not a productive environment <laughs> for me. So it's so individualized, but I am curious, uh, Brian, what, what are you seeing as far as the whole uh, drawbacks potential from the, the human elements and the, what you lose maybe on a 15 minute door jam stop? There could be 15 seconds of something really beneficial there that's lost. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, productivity is important. Productivity is uh, easy, easier to measure than connection or innovation. Uh, what comes to mind was the, I, I believe it's true, but evidently uh, Steve Jobs, in one of the buildings that they were designing for Apple, wanted to put all of the restrooms uh, in the whole building on one floor. So it would force employees from different departments to kind of crash into each other. And, and that is where a lot of innovation comes from, whether it's the, the cafeteria or the bathroom or, or like you said, the door jam. So there's, there is something to be said for those organic, um, unexpected or impromptu discussions that, that aren't happening. There's, there's, a, you know, there's a lot more headwind to that, more friction in the system. So you know, while we are all individually being more productive right now, uh, I, I, we may see longer term that we've, we've lost a little bit of momentum around innovation and and uh, maybe even just simple process improvement. I know for us, you asked the question about, about how did the pandemic change things. We we did lose a lot of clients who were we were working with, and it wasn't that they that they saw our work as unimportant. It was it was important, but it wasn't as urgent as figuring out how to, to continue work in a pandemic. The right. the the upside for us is that we we have an office here in, in Phoenix. We have an office in Portland, Oregon, and and. For the most part, you know, we did things in person and we were happy with those markets and we thought there was plenty of work to be done. And as we've, you know, as, as everybody expects that we do work over Zoom, which I, I think we'll, we'll have a, at some point, we'll go back to doing things in person. But I think we've also proven that there is a, it is a viable platform. So mm -hmm. I, so for us, it has opened up markets that, that would have been cost prohibitive for us to work. You know, we can go anywhere in the world or the country um, we do have, we did have one client who left the Phoenix area and, and took over a factory in Modesto, California, which would have been, you know, geographically uh, undesirable for both my partner and I, and, mm -hmm. and we're continuing to work with him um, remotely. 
Uh, and so absolutely changing for us uh, the, the opportunities as we figured out how to do what we do, you know, the consulting, the coaching, the workshops, the exercises, the facilitation, doing it over Zoom, doing it over other platforms, doing it in, you know, maybe smaller bite-sized pieces or, or figuring out, again, how to, how to do it in this new normal. Um, so that's definitely been something for us that we, we see as an as a opportunity for us for growth long term. I could definitely see that. I mean, it it gives the opportunity to broaden that reach, right? I have a girl that does the graphics for me and she's in Egypt. I would have never made that connection. So being able to, you know, work together, I do meetings with her in the morning and it's her nighttime, but it allows that opportunity and that reach. So for you guys and, you know, that Modesto client, that's a perfect example. Um, Brett, I'm sure you're seeing clients from all over as well. I mean, you don't have that physical location, but you, what you're doing is, you know, digital and remote anyway. So I'm sure you're seeing kind of your clientele branch a little bit too during this. Yeah. It's always fun. Like, I mean, the, uh, the story with marketers is that in 2016, we started to rank on the first page of Google for the term digital marketing company. And we've been fortunate to hold that first position uh, nationwide for the last four and a half years. So we've always been connected about two thirds of our clients have always been outside of Arizona. Uh, but it makes days really interesting. Like when you pop on a zoom call and you just say, Hey, what's going on? What part of the world are you in? And they're like, oh, I'm, I'm in new England. Oh, great. Ohio. Great. Or Egypt. Fine. Um, but that, that kind of, it's just, uh, that's, that's how I personally derive a lot of that energy. So the accidental interactions that that take place in organizations where you're able to feed off of uh, the people around you, you know, that's where I get a lot of the instant gratification in terms of like hopping on these 15 minute zoom calls and just being transported to someone's world and someone's business and having that uh, groove throughout the day. So for me personally, it's, it's pretty fun. Love it. Right. You were talking about um, sort of how the pandemic has unveiled an opportunity for, um, you know, um, diversification and innovation and all those good things. Are you seeing that reflected in the type of work your clients are asking you to do as their as the charter changed, or is it still the same things, but you're just kind of helping them look at the problems through a different lens? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that we're kind of a one trick pony and all we do is focus on search engine optimization. So if they are innovating and coming up with different, uh, different ways, you know, it's the only way that we're really supporting is going after different keywords to to better connect them to target audiences. So not too much that I'm seeing. Yeah. I'm not seeing like, I don't have any clear cut examples of like someone was, was, uh, in the restaurant business and now they're doing this. Uh, (laughs) Nothing too clear. Brian, Brian, what about you? Any, anything on, on your end around diversity? Just around yeah. like yeah, pivoting and, and doing some innovation stuff. Well, um, I don't know if this is exactly the, the question, but I know uh, for us, so part, part of great culture is, is uh, diversity and inclusion. You know, diverse teams will always outperform homogenous ones, but it, it does take more work. When you, um, there's a saying, if you want to go fast, assemble a team of people exactly like you. If you want to go far, you know, bring, assemble a team of people who are very different. Um, again, with differences, you have to be really good at conflict. The, um, we, so we've always had offerings around you know, creating an inclusive work environment, increasing your diversity, and not just gender and ethnicity uh, and underrepresented minorities, but it wasn't always uh, at the top of the list in terms of interest. It was only really the, the truly woke clients that would say, oh, I, I want some of that too. Um, 
it's not so much the pandemic, but the the focus on social justice over this over the last several months has really uh, increased the awareness of the need, the importance. So it's it's no longer. I think it's shifting from a competitive advantage to have a DEI or a Jedi program to now it's it's table stakes, and so that's that has created not just an opportunity, but I think it's created more traction and just an area that's really, really important, whether we're helping the client or someone else is, or they're doing it on their own. Pretty cool. Also, if I can flip back, Brett, you dropped the, uh, you've been the number one uh, ranked digital marketing company on Google's top listing for four years. Like, and just hey, threw it in, like, move no big right deal. along in the sentence. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it actually begs a two-part question. Uh, number one, uh, I think that's a really good uh, reflection that you know what you're doing, that you can be there. But well, what do you attribute that to? And how do you, probably more importantly, in my opinion, uh, pair that up with the fact that you've been one of the top places to work for several years running? So there's the there's the efficacy in what you do, and then there's the how you go about doing it. And the second one is your reward for the how. Just maybe back up a little bit, tell us the story. How did you arrive at that place? And how have you built this culture that allows you to uh you know, score so well in every regard. Yeah. Uh, thanks for that question. And I might defer to Brian on some of the, the best place to work stuff. Cause I, I've got some thoughts with that, but in terms of SEO success, uh, ranking on the first page of Google, uh, it takes a lot of time. SEO takes, uh, in between four to 12 months for a business to implement improvements and then see a potential benefit. Um, that's according to Google when they uh, communicate what to expect when hiring an SEO expert. So um, in order to outrank other SEO companies, I was probably at it for four or five years in terms of uh, establishing expertise online, building links, having digital PR placements, and essentially um, over time, those those uh, helped us get to that first page. So I wish I had more magic to it, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I think that it just gets chalked up to to hard work and building credibility online and and being in places and being visible and talking about digital marketing and so. That's the tip for anyone who's looking to establish better visibility online. It's it's picking what you're an expert at and then building that expertise through um, you know different uh, appearances on external sites. That's that's how Google was founded. It was a hypertextual search engine back when uh, Larry and Sergey were uh, Stanford students, and essentially they decided to rank the web according to links. And so um, flash flash forward 24 25 years later. It's still at the core of Google's algorithm, and it, obviously that's expanded out to 200 plus different uh, ranking factors, but at the core is links. And so for anyone who's looking to establish that expertise, it's picking a few different areas and then essentially building that profile out uh, online. So that's uh, that's like the high level. <laughs> is this that. something that always interests you to be part of, or was it a, a, an opportunity that presented itself? How did you find yourself in this domain? So. I'll try to keep it short. <laughs> uh, we, I majored, we do have a half hour, so go ahead. You can use I, as much as you want. So I majored in accounting at University of Arizona, and I founded this website where we basically went out and interviewed people about their career paths. And we put them all on this website for other uh, lost college, soon-to-be college graduates to look at and figure out, okay, how did that person get to where they are? Let's document their whole career path and so that it could serve as guidance and then career inspiration. And so we cool. bought an RV. Uh, we went out during the summer, uh, me and three buddies, and we interviewed over 300 people about their career paths and put it on uh, on the site. And then I went to go work as an auditor. And then about uh, two to three months into the job, I started getting all of these inbound inquiries from people who were coming across these interviews and getting super inspired by it. So that was like 2006, 2007. 
And I didn't know what SEO was, but I found out through that website of the power of connecting uh, real world experiences to some online initiatives. And that's how I really like fell in love with SEO. So that was you know, 13, 14 years ago. Good for you. That's awesome. That's great. See, I think yeah. um, it, you've talked a lot about the how, Brett, but I, I think you, you're a role model for the P&P persistence. It's, you, you had to know how to do it, but I also know that and you haven't really talked about it, but it's, you don't just get there and stay there. You, have, you get there and you have to work really, really hard to stay there. Is that right? Yeah, it's just, it's, uh, <laughs> try to avoid the how again, but I, <laughs> I mean, the how for, for us, it's like, you have to continue to talk about it. You have to continue to prove your expertise. And so it boils down to content and digital PR, and then making sure that your, your website can be fielded by people accessing the site, as well as uh, search engines and crawlers. But you're right. Yeah, it's a lot of persistence and, and keeping up with it. And not, I mean, it's a, a frequency thing too. Like Google has to look at your site as an established source and a trusted source for whatever information that you're talking about. So you can't just put it all out there once and just expect it to sit there. Like you got to continuously build upon that until you have this, uh, this good network of, of content. So I know you guys were surprised how he just slipped in there the, the first you know ranking. Right. I was surprised it took 20 minutes for it to come <laughs> in because I, I, I was waiting for it because I think it's a, it's a fantastic uh, you know, fact to share. Yeah. So... Jeremy, yeah, please. The, the last part of your point about building best places to work, maybe we can, uh, I could just talk about that briefly and kick it over to Brian. Uh, so Marketers was voted, uh, you know, best place to work the last three years in a row. And I think that last year we missed out on the Phoenix Business Journal nomination. So in 20, I think 2018, we had won uh, one of the best places to work for a micro business, which is someone under 49 employees. And last year we missed it, but I felt like our workplace was actually better than it was in 2018. Isn't that interesting? And and so like I, I look at those awards and no knock to you know the people who give those out, but uh, it's a system and some of those systems are, are um, inaccurate at times. And so I think that the people who win those awards really know if they have a best place to work and the people who miss out also know. Um, I, th- I think probably the best indicator for us is having a tool that we uh, use called Office Vibe. And Office Vibe sends out an anonymous survey to employees and essentially asks you to rank uh, or ask continuous questions every two weeks of, of employees. And that to me is the best barometer for how our organization is, is feeling about the workplace. And so that that's kind of interesting. And Brian, I'm, I'm super interested to hear your thoughts too about best, play, best places to work awards and what makes a, a great workplace. Well, I, I'm... I'm competitive, so I love rankings and lists. <laughs> um, some of them are very much a, a marketing um, system, like you mentioned, and not so much a, a pure, unadulterated, uh, um, you know, ranking or rating of of your culture. Uh, what I what I will say, and you know, we we could get into uh, you know Gallup versus the, there is a great place to work institute. So there are there are organizations that are um, maybe a little less. A bias than say a business journal who is there's there's definitely some some marketing at play there which is which is fine uh, what i what um my perspective is for for what i do i i um I, I very much whether you are on the list or you fell off the list i would much rather work with a brett than someone who 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 doesn't think that that's important um even though it might be more lucrative to work with an organization that's a big dysfunctional hot mess um that's that's just not what i would prefer to do someone like Brett's organization that they have good culture, they have great culture, 
They want to be on a list. They want to move up the list. They want to stay number one. Those are the kind of, you know, the good to great or the great and growing. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of organizations that I love working for. Because if you, again, whether or not you, you, you miss the list or not, you're doing the right things, right? You're doing the blocking and tackling. You're doing the, you know, the, the pulsing and checking with the employees. You're, you're listening. That's, that's where it starts. Um, so it's, you, you could be on a list and, and not be doing that and not have great culture. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's more important that you're doing the right things, right, Brett? And, oh. and Brett, I want to go back to the, the questionnaire that you said goes out every two weeks or so, Office Vibe. So it's asking questions, which is great because it allows you to kind of get the feel for where everybody's at. But there's things happening, right, behind the scenes that's moving the company, that's building the culture, that's supporting the staff so that by the time they get this little questionnaire, they're answering positively, right? Um, there's a lot of companies out there that could probably send this little questionnaire and it's not going <laughs> to show good vibes. So I I want to go back to that because there's obviously more that's happening, more behind the scenes. Is there anything that you can think of that you know, like this is what we do for our employees. This is unique about us. Is there anything as far as what you might contribute to those rankings and to getting the positive feedback on that survey that goes to your staff? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, again, I wish I had some magic, but <laughs> I, think, I think that from a high level, it starts with the foundation mm-hmm. of what the core values are that, that guide the company. Like it's, And I say that because it's like, okay, a lot of people cite values, and but like actually living it and comparing a company that operated for maybe like its first year and a half without values and then becoming a company with values, you know, going back to conscious capitalism, like that's pretty much everything. I I think that we, I I would try to remember like, why do we create values? Like we operated (laughs) for like a year and a half without values. Like what, what was the, what was the inspiration for it? And it was because um, looking back finally, after like a year of thinking about it, um, we, we made like a, 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 a hire that didn't align with what the culture actually was. Mm-hmm. And so that that's what inspired our team to be like, okay, here's what the five values are and here's uh, what guides our behaviors and decisions and actions. I think that that's really the thing that uh, a survey, like a continual pulse, like what, what you said, Brian, it's super important just to make sure that you have the the right things in place and you're, you're doing the right things to, that align with the values. And that's like gut check, a gut check to say, Hey, yeah. are we getting out of line? And do we need to realign on some of the different things that we're doing? So you mentioned five core values. What are the core values that you guys have? So each one's inspired by a client uh, that we've worked with. And mm-hmm. so uh, one cool. is you are unique, which is respecting the uniqueness of every human being inspired by sportique apparel out there in Tempe. Uh, another one is always fresh, always thrilling which is to innovate, to keep things exciting. That is from Fate Brewing Company. Uh, We have uh, Take Ownership, uh, which is Deliver on All Promises. We have Bias for Action, which is actually inspired by my time at jobbing.com back in uh, 2007. And then the last one is Strength in Numbers. I use data to drive decisions as well as kind of utilize all available resources. And that one is inspired by my time in the Bay Area, the Golden State Warriors. Bide <laughs> <laughs> your time. I, w- I want to ask Brett a question about hiring for values. The um, our research shows that uh, the the cost of a bad hire is about a third of the salary. So I, I love the fact that you're hiring for cultural fit. You know, using your values. Um, um, do you have you um, have you experienced? 
during the interview as you're as you're kind of screening candidates, have you had and you're describing this is our culture and the only way that you can be truly successful at marketers is is to you know to to fit the culture. Have you had people say, "Oh, wait a minute, this isn't me," and then opt out of the process? Not really. I, I would say a lot of people actually try to say, yes, I believe in all of these mm-hmm. values. This is totally me. And then you have to kind of like ask some more targeted questions that test that. So uh, one of my favorite questions, one of my favorite things to do in in-person interviews, which I can't really do anymore, is physically hand them a roll of duct tape and say, what are five things that you would do with this duct tape? And what we're really testing there is the always fresh, always thrilling, innovate to keep things exciting. Uh, Because if you're in marketing and you're doing something like SEO or social media, you've got to talk about a product or service like 100 times a year. (laughs) So if you can't take this universally loved product duct tape and find five five uses for it, you're probably not going to be aligning with that innovation uh, side side of what we're looking for. I love that. I might steal that. (laughs) I love that. Um, Brian, I want to ask you the question about core values. Obviously, you're all about values, but I'm sure you and your business partner have identified your core values as well. We have. What are they? My personal (laughs) values. Oh, I like this. Um, So I told you our our company values, you know, we named the company on persistence, empathy, authenticity, and kindness. And in the P, persistence is very common in the business world. We think it's the eek that makes us different. We think it's the eek that people want right now, the empathy, the authenticity, the kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on a personal level, uh, let's see, i make sure I'd, I, this would be really bad if I forgot any of them. Number one is open-mindedness. Kind of the next tier would be humility and independence. Uh, family, and family for me as a, as a single dad, a lot of my decisions are based around um, my two boys. And so, and that's the essence of what values are. Values are what drive your decisions and your behaviors. Let's see, what have I, independence, family, uh, humility, I know I'm forgetting one here, uh, wellness, and uh, we, we, we have six, and now I'm already, I feel like I'm forgetting one. But I will tell you, uh, when it comes to, I talked about diverse teams have conflict, all teams have conflict, but diverse, with diversity, you will have more conflict. I believe that that most conflict, if not all conflict, is actually not about the person or the issue. It's about having different values and, and but not knowing it. So if we can, if you can first be clear about your own values and then two, make them transparent to others, then you you can either avoid conflict or at least navigate through conflict more easily. Uh, a personal, two personal stories. One, 14 years ago, I did a values exercise for the first time and it was a group of, of mid-level managers of the company I was at and uh, there was one person in particular I, I had a hard time getting along with, and I got along with almost everybody. And uh, his number one value was in my discard pile at the very beginning. And I thought, mm. oh, I, I totally get you now. And from that day forward, I never had a problem uh, working with that person because I understood I understood our differences. Um, so sometimes it's what's really important to you is not important to me. That That very well could cause conflict. Uh, Jen and I, my business partner, one of her core values is collaboration. And collaboration is important to me. I love it. Um, But one of my core values is independence. Is that the one I forgot? Um, So my sense of independence and my, you know, desire for independence sometimes is in conflict with her sense of her value of collaboration. And so knowing that and having it visible, uh, we, we can navigate through times when Otherwise, you know, she might be wanting to work on something and I'm and she feels like I'm being standoffish or 
I feel like she's, you know, trying to get into my business. Uh, and so, but we, we understand each other because we've gone through the process together. Mm-hmm. So I think those are, those personal stories are, are um, you know, a good way of explaining why it's, it's not just, you know, woo woo stuff. It's, it really helps you work through conflict communication. Actually, one of the things we, we encourage people when they finish their personal values is we have a sheet that we write them down on and we um, ask that you put them on the door to your office uh, or at least on your cube wall. If, so you imagine somebody coming in to talk to you and before they even come talk to you, maybe they've got, they're going to pitch you an idea or maybe they're going to ask you or have a difficult conversation. Or they look and say, oh, okay, so open-mindedness, uh, creativity or innovation, you know, independence. So I, I understand now what's really important to Kendra. I will make sure I, I kind of factor that into the conversation. The other reason why you should keep them handy is these are your non-negotiables. I, I suspect there's times when you could look back over your lifetime and say, I made a decision and one of these things was missing and I, I thought, well, it would be okay. Well, it never is. So if you have the clarity about what's most important to you and you keep them front and center, I'm convinced you will make better decisions more quickly uh, because of it. I love that. And it's it just, to me, it makes sense because you know, you you work through all of this with your family members at home, right? You have these conversations to try and make sure everyone is, you know, supportive if you're, you have these differences. And I feel like sometimes we forget that in the workplace. And so um, you and I had walked through my values here's, I think, year and a half, two years ago. And that was one of the things that we looked at is I knew from looking at my values, I knew right off the bat that some of the folks that I worked with were the complete opposite. So even though they didn't know I did this exercise, for me, I was like, oh, now this all makes sense. (laughs) So I think that for, you know, and then Brett tying in with you guys, that these activities, these actions, these are what help to build these companies and build the success because you're allowing everybody to understand and have those pieces. I do want to tie back the personal values to what Brett was talking about organizationally. Mm -hmm. The... um, when, when we work with a client, and it sounds like you, you did this, Brett, we want you to create values that are, that are magnetic. And I, I want you to imagine a, one of those old horseshoe magnets. Uh, we know that magnets attract, and it sounds like you're doing a good job of attracting talent with your values. But what's the other thing that magnets do? They repel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. And so having values that will also repel, that's why I was, I was sort of fishing for the question of, did, do you ever repel anybody that goes, oh, I, maybe I don't fit here? Because if you, you know, the opposite of a magnetic set of values would be, I think, value stew, where there's a little bit of everything in there for everybody. So having them magnetic, you know, when, so if I have clarity about what's important to me, my values don't have to be exactly the same as organizational values, but there has to be alignment. Mm-hmm. If I see alignment, if I feel alignment between my values and the organization that I belong to, then I'm engaged. And when you're engaged, you are more productive, two times more productive. Uh, and, and then the last thing that I, I share with both organizations, but really the, the individuals in the organization, I say, when we finish the exercise, I say the day that you walk in and you feel like your values are not being served or you don't think there's alignment is the day you should look for a, a new organization or a new job. Since we're still running on values, Brian, I'd like to pick on your corporate value of kindness and how that plays in the marketplace. Because being that our topic is this global thing of conscious capitalism, there's often this conflicted uh, or uh, opposite concept that if you're kindness, then then you're weak. You're you're not capitalizing on the opportunities that uh, might otherwise be there. Brett shared with us that 
for some of the clients, they waived a month of fees so that they could have continuity in their services, right? So that could be argued that that was a kind gesture, or that could be argued that, no, that was a really business savvy. It allowed the obstacle that was in front of the customer to be removed. I'd much rather lose one month of a customer's income than lose that customer indefinitely moving forward, right? So I love that you have that integrated into the fabric of your company. I'm curious how it's reflected in your experience on the street. What, what, what are the responses you get and, and how, do you, uh, how do you approach it? Well, I will tell you a little um, insider story. It, it, was, it came down to a, a decision between kindness and love. And the Peel fleet uh, didn't really have the same ring to it as the Peak <laughs> fleet. <laughs> Understood. Um, when it comes to values, they, they can be overplayed. So, um, you know, you can be too persistent. You can be too empathetic. Some people take authenticity to be a license to be kind of a jerk. Sure. And if you're too kind, you could be, you know, kind of rolled over or be a doormat. Uh, which is why the the inspiration for the atomic symbol on my T-shirt, where um, we feel like the peak values are at best when they're in harmony. There's some tension between kindness and authenticity. There's some tension between persistence and 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 um, what I say empathy. Uh, but in terms of kindness, kindness is a choice. Uh, and yeah, you could you could take it too far. But I think back to this idea that we're we're exiting the third industrial revolution. We're entering the fourth. Uh, we're now, you know, we're, we're leaving this era of process improvement and automation and, and we're not, we're no longer seeing incremental improvements. We're seeing complete disruption. You know, it, we're, we're in this era now where you are either a disruptor or you will be disrupted. Well, how are the disruptors doing their disruption? They're doing it through experience. And I think kindness is part of that experience. So it's, it's, um, here's one, one very tangible business story. I, there's, a um, if you Google Panera and I think it's um, uh, clam chowder, but there was a boy who was visiting his grandma in the hospital and said, Grandma, well, you know, what do you, what could I do for you? She said, I really want the, I think it was clam chowder, but it was a certain soup and they only make the soup on one day a week. So he went to Panera and they said, oh, well, well, we'll make it for you. So he posted it. And I think within a week, there was a half a million views and likes. And so that's that manager at that Panera making that soup you know, didn't have to do it. But it ended up turning into a, a really positive business outcome for the organization, for the company. That's perfect. Yeah. You could then play the counter argument, which is now everybody's going to come in any day of the week expecting a soup. <laughs> but uh, I still think they did the right thing. They were kind. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, um, Brett, what was your on-ramp into conscious capitalism? Was it uh, something like, was, did it predate your business birth or did you kind of encounter it along the way? I just saw people drinking the Kool-Aid out of one of the cups too. <laughs> I think that's pretty much it. Uh, I'm buddies with with Brian Moore, and he goes uh, pretty deep into conscious capitalism. So, um, and then just you, you kind of follow, uh, or at least get inspired by some of the people that you are inspired by. So, as you look a little deeper into who's involved, it's like, oh, there's actually like some really legit people uh, that are part of the community. So, I think that that's how I got got looped in. And you identified that you had already been sort of operating in that way. You just didn't have the language for it. Or was it an opportunity for you to really take a look at things like, hey, we don't have values listed out. That's something that's important. And our people are doing yeah. that. If I'm being honest, I think that uh, we have not gone to the extreme of like testing our culture and our company against these practices. I think it's just a, to, uh, yeah, to be transparent, I think it's a group that 
that we align with and the people in it. And I don't think that we've gone as, as deep as we can into to making sure that we really, really fit and like doing the, hard, doing the hard work. That's okay. <laughs> Jeremy and I can loop you in on the hard work. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty to go on that. Well, Brian, you work with startups, do you not? I mean, I know you work with the whole spectrum of people, but that is one of the areas that you we do have expertise. Work, we do work with some startups. Um, and we would love to work with more. We realize that startups don't always have a lot of cash. And if they do, they're spending it elsewhere. Um, although our, our research shows that the, in terms of the reason why startups fail, number one is product market fit. Number two is running out of money. Number three is people people issues or culture issues. So there is there is value in, in doing it. We are fortunate enough to be able to work with startups and entrepreneurs through ASU as, as uh, mentors in the Venture Devil program. So, we, so we're both... Uh, academic associates at ASU. It's about three hours a week. Um, so it's been really fun to, again, help people, uh, you know, get their culture right from the, from the beginning. We would love to work with the, the titans of industry, but we're, we also realize we're probably not going to change the culture. And so we would rather help the, the next Facebook, the next Google, the next Airbnb get their culture, uh, you know, codified and, and have it be something that not only doesn't inhibit their growth, but maybe accelerates their growth. Okay. And and when you're working with those young term companies, because uh, you had mentioned a lot of people find you not because they're drawn to your value set, but because they have a pain that is getting flushed out and you happen to have the prescription. Do you find that people are responsive to this? Hey, we need to put some attention into this concept of how you're going to grow, how you're going to focus on people in addition to where the dollars are going to come in the door. Or is it a blind faith? Like, how, how do you make that make sense to somebody who hasn't walked that walk yet? Well, you know, I think it's on me. So back to the, we, I, we started the podcast talking about how leaders have to often say things seven times, seven ways before everybody gets it. Uh, it's, I think it's on me to, to, um, to find the right language of a potential client or find the right pain point or find the right meeting them where they are. It's not for them to you know, understand me necessarily. I do find that conscious capitalists get it, get it a lot quicker than non-conscious capitalists. Um, I think that's what, was, what drew me. You know, we, we started the company. We wanted to be triple bottom line. We did find the process of becoming a B Corp kind of cumbersome. And so it was about two years into our history that, that uh, I discovered conscious capitalism and thought, oh, these people get it. If it's somebody who already understands the tenets of, you know, purpose over profit, understands conscious leadership, conscious culture, stakeholder alignment, um, then, then we can get right into talking about culture and values and purpose. We can, you know, we can go right there. If, but if someone isn't as, um, you know, sort of aware or enlightened, then I'm going to have to talk about hard business metrics. And it might be the cost of a bad hire. It might be the cost of turnover, the cost of, of you know, some other or some other business metric they're trying to move. I'm trying to, you know, to increase this process improvement, or I'm trying to, you know, cultivate more innovative thinking. And so I, I have to, I have to make the translation for them often. Yeah, makes good sense. Well, we sure appreciate you being out there doing that. Um, whenever I get an opportunity to speak with uh, early stage businesses, I can always point to the fact that uh, there's a whole bunch of landmines out there. I can tell you where they're at because I have all the the burn marks on my feet from them, <laughs> or uh, you can go find them on yourself and uh, have the bandages ready. So that's great that you're, you're out there doing that. Um, Brett, I had a question for you. I know you're part of another uh, organization, Turkle. Am I saying it correctly? Could you share what that is and how that and where the name came from? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so Turkle is a knowledge platform that creates community-driven content featuring expert insights. So if that sounds like a mouthful, 
just check out the uh, Conscious Capitalism blog and you will see every month uh, Conscious Capitalism will pose a question to the Turkle community as well as the Conscious Capitalism uh, members in Arizona. And we collect the best insights and then we formulate that into an article to essentially have a broader collection of uh, perspective on certain topics. So everything from, you know, what's uh, the top 10 tools that your small business can't live without to how uh, your business is being impacted by the pandemic, you know, the, the opportunities are endless. And re- where it really is inspired is going back to the search side of things, uh, 115, well, 15% of uh, search queries that Google sees every day are brand new, meaning that they've never seen them before. So Google sees billions of searches every day. And if you do the math, then there's 150 million searches that Google's never seen before. Uh, so essentially, that's a lot of different questions that go unanswered. And so Turkle is really aimed at satisfying that search intent by relying on community uh, community insights. And so right now, we have uh, created more than 250 articles for 50 partners, including Conscious Capitalism. Uh, featuring over a thousand, uh, or featuring insights from over a thousand users. So uh, right now it's in its pure infancy stage. We have a platform that is launched at Turkle.io, uh, but that is about it. We launched it like a month ago. Okay, I was just going to ask what's the feedback. We can give you feedback because we love being able to have that sampling of information shared every month. And to your point. Uh, sometimes if you stick around the same people all the time, you get very similar mm-hmm. inputs. And so to be able to get that a, a broader net cast, you pick up a whole bunch of things that you otherwise might not wouldn't. So that, that's great to see. That's feedback for, for one month from uh, one of your observers. Anything, anything else you're hearing about that on how that's actually dipping into that problem that Google is trying to solve? Yeah, right, I, I mean, say. maybe they're not yeah. solving it, but exists. Well, they are trying to solve it. They have a, a feature that's being tested in three countries right now called uh, Google Question Hub. It's being tested in India, Indonesia, and Nigeria, uh, with Nigeria being the English-speaking country so that they, we can beta test it for the U.S. Uh, but it's a, I mean, it's interesting because content can't keep up with curiosity at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that gap becomes wider and wider. And so we're really trying to address that in a way that taps into uh, the world's knowledge and people's knowledge and relying on community insights to help collectively satisfy that. I think Turkle's also a good example of the stakeholder alignment that's part of conscious capitalism that you're you're also, you're not just answering, you're not filling in the gaps of questions that haven't been answered, but you're providing a, a service to people who want to get their voice out there and want to get published, want to get, um, you know, because it's a crowded market of of, you know, getting your voice heard. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, going back to the how, how did I rank on on the first page of Google, uh, building credibility is one of the toughest things to do when you're a startup, when you're just getting going, when you're a small business. And so answering questions and sharing your your expertise is a no-brainer way to to help uh, build up that credibility online. So yeah, thanks See, for sharing that, Brian. You're doing way more than just drinking the Kool-Aid of conscious <laughs> capitalism. You're way more. You're you're doing way more than you than you lead on. You're and and even with the articles that you're talking about, um, we're in the Phoenix Business Radio X studio, and that's another one that you're supporting with through that as well. So see, you're very well. You just mention it like no big deal. You're just drinking the Kool-Aid. You, both of you gentlemen are way more connected than you lead into. Um, so as we start to wrap up, oddly enough, it's been almost an hour. 
Um, it flies by, especially when you're just, you know, having conversations like this. But before we wrap up and we do get ready to take off, I want to give both of you the opportunity to give any last minute words. And then also, how can our listeners actually reach out to you? Because both, both of you and the companies that you have bring great value to the community as well as some of the other members that are part of Conscious Capitalism. So if you want to kind of give any insight and share how people can reach you, um, Brett, I'll start with you since you're virtual. Sure. Uh, so in terms of how you can reach us, Google Digital Marketing Company. <laughs> and you're number one. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the best way. The, the ask that I'll put out there is if you, um, not so much from an, the SEO company side, but from the Turkle side, if you have insights to share, go to turkle.io, sign up, uh, answer a few questions and get published. Um, and if you're looking for content for your blog, then definitely get in touch with us and we can uh, put that Turkle community to work. And then in terms of advice, just say, hey, we're nearing Thanksgiving. Be thankful, uh, be gracious for everything that, that's happened in 2020. Uh, it's been a, a crazy year. And I think that the crazy energy that a lot of entrepreneurs and uh, people have put forth into the business will pay off in, in 2021. So keep it up, rest up and, uh, and have a good Thanksgiving. Awesome. Well Thank you. Brian, what about you? Well, you can find the Peak Fleet uh, on the web at We're on Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, you know, so if you have, you know, our ask would be if you have, if you know a business leader who needs needs help uh, with, with his or her organization, with the culture or, you know, moving business metrics, and we, maybe it's the culture we can help with. Um, but also individually, if you would like to discover your core values, we do sell a deck of cards off our website um, that, that we could help you go through that process. During the pandemic, we've created a digital version. Um, and that's, um, that actually, if you want instant gratification, if you don't want to have to, even though we ship our decks usually the day that the order comes in, so you'll get it within a day or two. If you want instant gratification for $5 uh, for now, $5, you can go through the exercise online using the same images that are on the cards. Uh, and it will takes about 10, 15 minutes and you can, you get, you get to download your, your value sheet uh, right then and there. So that's, uh, that's available at our website. Awesome. Well, thank you, thank gentlemen. You that, Brian. Yeah. So uh, I guess from our organization, uh, Conscious Capitalism, we'll just share that you can go to the website, ccarizona.org at any time to check out events that we've got cooking to get at any of this this podcast or any of the predecessors a whole bunch of good curated information so please if you enjoy this conversation i you know this is easy for me because whether anybody listens or not i always enjoy this conversation <laughs> so i appreciate you all joining along and hopefully uh, the listeners pulled away some good things as well so i bid everybody a fantastic afternoon and uh, a safe happy holiday season as brett alluded to and uh, thank you everyone for your time Thank you for listening to People in Profit, where we showcase the businesses that are elevating humanity through their work right here in Arizona. Learn more about us at ccarizona.org.